0: The talk you're about to hear is by Zen teacher Sensei Amala Wrightson. Today is the second day of our January 2020 summer session. It's the 6th of January. And we're going to just continue and finish off with some biographical material on Master Chino. Um, he actually appears in our Pool of Radiance chart um, as Pojo Puril. Um, this is the name that he was um, given posthumously, uh, conferred on him by the king. <coughs> We left off um, looking at, at um, Master Channel's various en- enlightenment experiences and how they affected his teaching. Um, and it was in a context of, of um, civil unrest in the country, and um, there was a deep divide within the Buddhist Sangha that we've been touching on as we as we. Um, Go through his life. Um, the split with, on the one hand, the uh, followers of the various um, scholastic sects, which relied on on um, teachings found in the scriptures, and you um, often had one sect favoring a particular scripture, another a different one. So those were the, the called the scholastic sects. And then you had, on the other hand, um, Song was the Zen school, the Chan school, which um, considered itself to be this what's known as this the special transmission that that transcended the um, sutras altogether. And then, as well as these um, factors, then you also had the the um, corruption of um, the Son hierarchy um, as a result of having been very close to uh, the rulers of the country for many centuries and uh, being patron, um, and benefiting from a lot of patronage from um, the rulers. Um, This this uh, notion of being a special Zen being a special transmission Um, goes back to uh, uh, four lines which many of you will have heard um, but some of you may not have and these are attributed to Bodhidharma, the founder of Zen but um, probably uh, quite a lot later Um, some scholars say that it was um, Nansen who said this Joshu's teacher and these four phrases go like this a special transmission outside the sutras not dependent on words and letters, directly pointing to the human heart, seeing the nature and becoming a Buddha. So that's like a little four-line summation of um, our school, the Zen school. So um, Chinul sort of, his seems that his life koan was well, how do the teachings of the sutras jibe with the teachings of son, the practice especially of um, son meditation? And he, we've seen him searching the sutras for practice instructions that he could apply in his life. Um, Master Cheng Yin in one of his um, books, addresses this um, this question of the um, almost the repudiation of the sutras by Zen, um, and he he comes more to a, a sort of a middle way as Chinul does. He he says. Um, It is not that it is impossible to gain wisdom from reading sutras. It depends on one's attitude. If one reads the sutras with an attitude of gaining intellectual understanding, wisdom will be elusive. On the other hand, if you approach sutras as methods of meditation or contemplation and commit your whole being to perceiving their meaning, it is possible for wisdom to arise. So so as always in Buddhism it comes back to what's the motivation what's the attitude this will be the 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 um deciding factor and certainly this was the this was the attitude of channel to to this this deep need to to bring together these two aspects of his of his um say his religious life and the religious life of his his colleagues, his fellow uh, practitioners. So we got up to 1188 and um, it had been over eight years since um, he'd made a pact with some of his um, fellow practitioners to form uh, the Samadhi and Prajna community. Um, But up until this point um, those involved hadn't been able to find a suitable place to um, establish this community. But um, in 1188 Chinul heard from um, one of the other signatories to this pact um, somebody called um, Tuk Chai, um, and Tuk Chai hadn't forgotten about this pledge, and he'd kept been keeping his eyes open to see where if he could find somewhere for these folks to go, and um, he asked Chinul repeatedly to come and and um, join him at Kojosa Temple. Um, to begin the retreat and Chunal uh, eventually agreed and um, he went and joined um, Tuk Chai at this um, Kojosa. Sa. Um, Baswal writes, after establishing himself at the monastery he and Tuk Chai invited all the monks who had been who had signed the initial uh, agreement to join them at Kojo Some of the monks had died, others were sick still others had become entranced with the pursuit of fame and profit. Of the original group of over ten monks only three or four were able to come. The retreat began formally in 1190 uh, and in commemoration of the occasion Chennel composed his first major works. Um, So so it took two years to to bring everybody together um, no doubt there were many arrangements had to be made and, and at that time of course communications would have would have taken a lot longer and travel as well but eventually they gathered and because there were so few Chinil also opened up um, an invitation to others to join the, the group Chinil welcomed people from all backgrounds into the community as long as they were willing to renounce secular concerns and dwell in seclusion, seclusion in the cultivation of samadhi and prajna." Um, so he kind of enlisted extra folks and then they were um, ready to um, start their retreat. Um, Fast-forwarding seven years, and the community had grown substantially. Boswell writes, "Um, In 1197, seven years after its formation, the community at Kōjōsā had achieved widespread renown and gained a large following among people from all social strata. Chenil had gradually attracted a large number of students. In fact, those who were studying under him, this is a quote from somebody, had become like a city. The small size of the temple and the growing number of students made it impossible to continue with the retreat without expanding the monastery site. Since the limited area available at kojo made expansion impossible, Chenil sent one of his disciples, Suu, into the Kangnam region of the southwest peninsula to search for a site for a major meditation center after visiting a number of monasteries Su arrived at Songwang mountain where he found the neglected remains of a small temple which was no more than 100 khan in size and able to accommodate only 30 or 40 people um, a, a hundred kaan is somewhere around 200 square meters. Although it was much too small for the requirements of the retreat group, the area was ideal. The site was outstanding and the land fertile. The springs were sweet and the forests abundant. It was truly a place which could be appropriate for cultivating the mind, nourishing the nature, gathering an assembly and making merit. This is, comes from a, an account of the day. In eleven ninety seven, together with his Dharma brothers, Chon Jin and Kwakjo, Su commenced the reconstruction and expansion, expansion of the monastery. With a few dilapidated buildings as a beginning, they built the new quarters for the Samadhi and Prajna community and established thereby a monastery which, even down to the present day, has been one of the most important in Korea this monastery still exists, um, not commonly known now as Songguang Sa, um, and um, some of you may have heard me read in Taisho from um, a book of the teachings of Master Kusan, a great 20th century master who was the student of um, Martin and Stephen Batchelor, and Martin um, translated his talks and and produced a wonderful little book about him and his and with his teachings so it's still going all these all these centuries later so eventually uh prepared to move his um society to the new site and he departed in that same year he departed from Kojo-sa with a few of his companions and set out for the new location but then on their way they stopped and um, it was on a, another mountain and um, and they started to, the place where they stopped they started again to do intensive practice um, sort of like a, a um, interlude on their on their track trek to the new location. And um, actually, they were there for um, two or three years. And um, Bill Buswell writes that apparently Chinnel wanted to get some time in solitary retreat, consolidate his own practice before moving to the new place where he'd be fully occupied with uh, teaching. This location on um, this mountain, on Mount Shiri, again, was uh, isolated and quiet and so uh, very well suited for, for um, the practice of Son. His uh, memorial stele uh, relates that at this location all kinds of um, miraculous occurrences took place. It doesn't say what they, they were. But these indicated to those present that Chinnal had um, attained great enlightenment. Here's what Chinnal himself says about his, his uh, spiritual progress at this uh, mountain location. Since I came from Pomonsa, more than ten years had passed. This was an earlier, one of his earlier locations. Although I was satisfied with the diligence of my cultivation and did not waste my time, I had not yet felt forsaken passions and views. It was as if my chest were blocked by something, or as if I were dwelling together with an enemy. Um, it, it's not. That uncommon for us when we're really engaging intensive practice for um, physical symptoms to come up. Things like um, uh, pain in the in the region of the heart, or um, uh, spasms in in the back, uh, headaches. Um, all kinds of things can arise, and um, sometimes these are to do with some imbalance in the way that we're practicing and we have to look closely at at that but sometimes they're just a physical expression of um some sort of spiritual block or um issue that that is has come up um and Sometimes when we when when we have some insight, they can just um, disappear, you know, proving that they 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 were connected to what we were going through in our practice. It's one of the reasons why it's so important to um, in Zen, especially which is so intense, uh, to um, work with a teacher unless one's um got a l- uh, lot of experience or or, or is a, or is a s- brilliant practitioner like Mike Ch- uh, Chinnell. so anyway he 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 had got to this point in spite of his all his efforts and of sitting for years and years where he felt that the that it was as if there was something blocking him in his chest and and, and that he he needed to to um Resolve this this sense of blockage and and so he, he sat with great fervour on this Mount cherry, and um, at the same time kept up his um, study and search of texts for guidance. I found a passage in the records of the son Master Dahui which said: and just, just a, a footnote here on on da Hui. This is the great Chinese master Da Hui Zongao, who was um, not, it was about only about a generation prior to Chenou. Um He was a student, a disciple of the great Yuan Wu, who was one of the compilers of the Blue Cliff Record, Hekigan Roku. Um, and he was. Um, a great popularizer of um, the Hwado method of chan practice, in other words, koans. And Chinil was the first Korean son teacher to be influenced by um, Da Hui's teaching and his approach. And um, Chinil, later on, uh, was to adopt the Hwado method and, and write about it. And we we may get to some of his writings on, on it um, in the Sishin. So he said, I, I found a passage in the records of Son Master Da Hui, which said, Son does not consist in quietude. It does not consist in bustle. In other words, um, busyness. It does not involve the activities of daily life. It does not involve logical discrimination. Nevertheless, it is of first importance not to investigate SON while rejecting quietude or bustle, the activities of daily life or logical discrimination. If your eyes suddenly open then son is something which exists inside your very own home. That's the end of Dahwe. I understood this passage. Naturally, nothing blocked my chest again, and I never again dwelt together with an enemy. From then on, I was at peace. So this is considered to be his his third awakening experience, and and his marking his great awakening, where f- 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 um, he settled the great matter after three years at Sangmuju Am. Shiri Mountain Chunul left for the southwest along with Yosei and his other companions when he arrived at Kilsangsa in twelve hundred the site was still under construction work which was continue to continue for the next five years. Just marvel at these at the the, the patience of um these folks in their in their um, the, the long periods of time it, it took to to um, to build and create these communities, along with repairing the 100 khan of dilapidated buildings, the workers added 80 khan of structures: shrine halls, dormitories, a refectory, kitchen, and storehouses the construction was a group project in which all members of the community as well as Buddhist believers from the surrounding villages participated. Finally, after nine years of work, the reconstruction was completed in 1205. And uh, and Chinna was to base himself um, at this new location until his death in 1210. Though, though he did, during that time, um, make numerous visits to hermitages that he had built in the surrounding mountains. So he continued with, his, with periods of solitary practice in between his, his um, teaching. The community grew rapidly in those years and attracted people from a broad cross-section of the population. As his stele relates, it was a large and magnificent assembly which included people who had abandoned fame and rank and left be- their family to become monks. Also included were royalty, aristocrats, literati, and commoners. There were several hundred of them who had also abandoned fame to enter the community. Seems this, this um, um expression to abandon fame was a way of a kind of shorthand way of saying um, abandon worldly things skip skipping, skipping ahead to to um, Chunno's death and he he died young he was only around uh, 52 or 53. Depending on how you count uh, the years, it's a little bit different in Korea. Again this is um, uh, the report that appears on his memorial stele of, of about his uh, passing away. During the spring of the second month of the second year of the Qin Dynasty, Great Priest Reign Era, that's around about Um, 26th of February to 26th of March 1210 the master held a Dharma ceremony for the guidance of his departed mother's spirit which lasted for several weeks I can imagine this would be largely uh, chanting at that time he announced to the community of monks I will not be staying much longer in this world to expound the Dharma. Each of you should be vigorous in your practice. Suddenly, on the 20th day of the third month, so it's about 15th of April, 2012, 10, he showed signs of illness, and after eight days the end was near. He had known in advance. The night before, when he went to the bathhouse to bathe, His attendant asked for a gata, a verse. The master replied in a natural and easy manner. Uh, We don't have a record here of what he he said. Late in the night, he retired to the master's room and engaged in questions and answers as before. So it sounds like this was his his habit, was to... um, Meet with his congregation late at night after they had been sitting all through the up until that point to answer their questions. Toward dawn, he asked, "What day is it today?" Someone answered, "It is the twenty seventh day of the third month, so the twenty second of April." The master then washed and rinsed his mouth and donning his ceremonial dharma robe, said. These eyes are not the eyes of my ancestors. This nose is not the nose of my ancestors. This mouth is not the mouth born of my mother. This tongue is not the tongue born of my mother. What's he saying here? And why would he say this right before his death? What's its purpose? He then ordered the monastery drum beaten to summon the monks of the community, and carrying his staff with six rings, he walked toward the Dharma Hall. There he lit incense, ascended the platform, and proceeded to perform all the usual formalities. He then struck his staff, and after mentioning the circumstances surrounding the questions and answers exchanged in his room the previous evening, said, The miraculous efficaciousness of the son dharma is inconceivable. Today I have come here because I want to explain it fully to all of you in this assembly. If you ask me clear, unattached questions, this old man will give you clear, unattached answers." He looked to the right and left and, rubbing his chest with his hands, said, The life of this mountain monk is now entirely in all of your hands. You are free to drag me aside or pull me down. Let anyone who has bones and tendons come forward. He then stretched his legs and, sitting on the seat, gave answers to the different questions put to him. His words were precise and the meaning detailed. His elocution was unimpaired the events are recorded in the death record. Finally, a monk asked, I am not clear whether the the past manifestation of illness by Villa of Vaisali and today's sickness of Chogye's moguja are the same or different. The master replied, You have only learned similarity and difference. Then, picking up his staff, he struck it several times and said, a thousand things and ten thousand objects are all right here. Finally, supported by his staff, he remained sitting immobile and quietly passed away. So um, the, the monk, the final question asked the, by the monk about um, the illness of Villa Makirti. this is of course, from the Villa Makirti Sutra, in which the great layman um is said to be suffering sickness um and all these different um the Buddha wants to send somebody to go and engage with villa Makirti, but um nobody nobody wants to go because they don't feel they can match him in his understanding. Finally, Manjushri goes and they have a, a dialogue a dialogue, but at one point. Um Curtis talks about being sick uh because all beings are sick. In other words, he's as a bodhisattva he's resonating with the, the suffering of all beings, all sentient beings. After Chinil's death his disciples held the traditional pre-funeral ceremonies which lasted for seven days. It is said that throughout this period his complexion remained as if he was still alive and his beard and hair continued to grow. Now, I'm, I'm pretty sure that um, this is something that happens with all corpses in terms of the the beard and the hair continuing to grow after death. But the the Complexion remaining flesh, fresh is um, unusual, but it's something that's still um, sometimes reported on now. Um, a few years ago, there was a, um, uh, the, a Vajrayana monk in Dunedin, he um, was a very respected practitioner. He died. And his corpse remained fresh-faced for um, 18 days after he died. Um, and then, then when, when they noticed that the changes starting to happen, they, they cremated him in a traditional way. So that's, that's quite a lot of background information on Shin'u, much more than we have on most, most of the masters that we um, look at. So now turning to his actual teaching. And the first um, chapter that we're going to be looking at um, is called um, Straight Talk on the True Mind. And Buzzwell r- remarks that um, this this particular teaching, straight talk on the true mind, is probably Chönl's most ex- accessible exposition of the son meditation teaching and techniques that were practiced in his era. Um, I guess that's that's one of the reasons why we're starting with this one, but I think it's fair to say that all of this, all of Chinol's material, though it's it's very clear and precise, it is demanding, and it and it um, it, it it takes um, um, some effort, more effort than if we read a, a contemporary master um, to 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 extract the what is helpful, and. Um, so just just give that, that caveat. Um, <clears throat> and as always with what people hear in Taisho <clears throat> take what resonates with you, um, take it to heart and um, leave what doesn't. Chinul uh, is still Buzzwell speaking. Tackles, tackles the problem of correlating all the apparently conflicting descriptions of the absolute given in different strata of Buddhist texts, tracing all these descriptions back to the true mind. He then describes the different attributes of this absolute sphere. Chinnel's discussion leads into a consideration of ten different ways of cultivating thoughtlessness or no mind the fundamental approach for re- revealing the effulgence of the true mind. Um, and this, 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 um, it's not known exactly when he composed this, but probably around 1205. So in his, that last um, sort of phase of his life when he was teaching at uh, Songgwangsa, It starts off, um, with a, a preface and the whole thing is in in um, question and answer format so the first question, question. <coughs> can the sublime path of the ancestors be known so this is the uh, way of talking about Zen can Zen be known Chunu response hasn't this already been explained by the ancients and then he he quotes um, makes uh, she does extensively throughout this text the path is not related to knowing or not knowing knowing is a false thought not knowing is blankness if you have truly penetrated to that realm which is free of doubt and as vast and spacious as the immensity of space how could you bother to make such discriminations um, this this um, the path is not related to knowing or not knowing uh, comes from nansen um, joshu's teacher um, nan chuan in chinese and it's, it's um, also found in um, the Mumon Khan, one of the um, koans there, number 19, Ordinary mind is the way. Now it's a really central piece of teaching. Now this is Joshu, uh, uh, an exchange between um, Joshu and Nansen, at this point, Joshua is is young. He's he's starting out. He's he's a beginner, and um, he goes to Nansen, his teacher, and says, "What is the way? What is the path?" Nansen answered, "Ordinary mind is the way." Uh, Our ordinary, everyday, normal mind. The mind that each of us uh, eats breakfast with, walks with, runs with, lies down with. And so Joshua asks, reasonably enough, Shall I try to seek after it? But this is our ordinary mind. It's the mind we we would be seeking with. <clears throat> Nonsense says, if you try to seek after it, you go away from it. In other words, if you think it's somewhere other than right here, you're going to be chasing your tail. So then Joshua says, if I do not try for it, how can I know the way? I don't, if I don't seek, how can I find it? And this is, this is nonsense response. The way is not a matter of knowing or not knowing. Knowing is illusion. Not knowing is blankness. If you try to attain this way of no doubt, it is as boundless as vast space. So how can there be right or wrong in the way? And at these words, Joshua came to awakening. So if it's, if it's not a matter of knowing, and it's not a matter of not knowing, where, where do you go? Where, Where, what is it? This is what we have to find out for ourselves. The verse to this um, koan is one of the most beautiful in in the Mumon Khan, and it gives poetic expression to the teaching here. Hundreds of flowers in spring, the moon in autumn, a cool breeze in summer, and snow in winter. If your mind is not clouded with unnecessary things, no season is too much for you. So can the sublime path of the ancestors be known? Next question. But does this mean that sentient beings do not benefit from the ancestors' appearance in the world? That's a good question. These, these ancestors are supposed to appear in the world to teach us, right? But if, if it's not about knowing or not knowing, then how do sentient beings, us, how do we benefit from the ancestors' appearance in the world? Chinol replies. When the Buddhas and ancestors showed their heads," and that's in, in quotes, they had no teachings to offer people. They only wanted sentient beings to see their original nature for themselves. The Avatamsaka Sutra says, you should know that all dharmas are the own nature of the mind. The perfection of the wisdom body does not come from any other Awakening. Let's repeat that. You should know that all dharmas are the own nature of the mind. The perfection of the wisdom body does not come from any other Awakening. Um, the wisdom body is a reference to one of the the ten bodies of the Buddha, which is a teaching also from the Avatamsaka Sutra. We don't really need to go into it, but the point here is that um, we, there's nothing we can't experience anything outside of our mind. All dharmas, all Buddhas and bodhisattvas, all the teachings. Um, are the nature of the mind so we don't have to um, seek them anywhere else but right here we just have to um, apprehend them For this reason, the buddhas and patriarchs, the buddhas and ancestors, did not let people get snared in words and letters. They only wanted them to put deluded thought to rest and see the original mind, open their eyes to it. This is why when people entered Dershan's room, he struck them with his staff, or when people entered Linji's room, he shouted, So this, these are um, great Chinese masters. Deshan is, is Toksan, who appears in quite a few of the koans. Um, and then Linji is Rinzai in Japanese form. And he's, he's making an important point about these, the wild behavior of these two masters. One used to, to, to rain blows on his students. The other would shout. Like these great um, uh, thundering, bellowing shouts, and he's saying, "Well, the the reason why they did that was to try and um, just blast the the students' minds into some some clarity, empty out." He says, "We have groped too long for our heads. Why should we set up more words and language?" Unfortunately, though, even even these these um, these skillful um, shouts and 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 strikes um, can turn into kind of conventions, which they which they did within the Zen tradition. And um, they only they they require skilled use too. Um, in in unskilled hands, they just turn into abuse, really. But the, the key the key point that Chennel's making here is that all the all the teachers, the Buddhas and the Bodhisattvas and the and the ancestors of our lineage, they just want they just want us to put down our deluded thinking it's all, and that's all we have to do. Let our fond opinions go, as it says in the affirming faith and mind. Question. We have heard that in the past Ashwagosha wrote the Awakening of Faith, the Sixth Ancestor expounded the Platform Sutra, and Huang Mei transmitted the Prajnaparamita texts. All these efforts involved involved a gradual, sequential approach for the sake of people. How can it be right that you alone have no expedience regarding the Dharma? so this question is saying okay you're saying we just got get, get rid of our words and language Well, what about these masters who wrote these these great texts and who who um taught in a, in a gradual sequential approach a le- approach that involved learning and evolving how how, how come you say um, that you don't have any expedience Chinul replied, at the summit of Mount Sumeru, reasoning has been forbidden for ages but at the the top of the second peak, all the ancestors have tolerated verbal understanding. So in Buddhist cosmology, at the centre of the universe there is Mount Sumeru and it's the highest mountain mountain there is. And um, uh, traditionally the the, um, Deities live on the on the on the peak of, of this mountain, Mount Sumeru. but then there are all these other mountains that circle um, around the central one, which are, are lower. And um, so, what Chinal is saying in a kind of elusive way here is that at the at the ultimate peak, there's no reasoning. It just doesn't apply, but at a secondary level then then there's reasoning, there's there's explanations, there's expedience. And and um, he's saying this at the beginning of this text because the whole text is in fact an expedient. It's words that we're reading. And and he wants people to to keep in mind the fact that this this um, these explanations are expedience. They're 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 uh, sort of set up to be helpful, but we have to recognize that um, uh, they're the finger pointing at the moon. They're not the moon itself. They're at their um, secondary level. Question: From the summit of the second peak, could you possibly bestow on us a few simple expedients. Chinil your words are correct and yet the great path is mysterious and vast. It neither exists nor does not exist. The true mind is arcane and subtle it is free from thought and abstraction. Hence People who have not yet entered into the state could peruse the teachings of 5,000 volumes of the Tripitaka, but would, it would not be enough. The, the Tripitaka is, the, is the, the three baskets of the teachings, the, the sutras, the shastras, and the uh, precepts. So all the Buddhist teaching. So you could look at 5,000 volumes of all these teachings and it wouldn't be enough. But if those who have perceived the true mind say merely one word in allusion to it, it is already surplus dharma. Today, without fearing for my eyebrows, I have modestly written a few passages to shed light on the true mind in the hope that they will serve as a basis and program for entering the path. This will do by way of introduction so these three initial questions or four questions we've looked at are his preface to the text that we're going to look at from tomorrow onwards Um, a few passages to shed light on the true mind Uh, just one footnote here on this without fearing for my eyebrows long, bushy um, eyebrows were um, considered to be a sign of of wisdom traditionally in China and and in Korea. Um, People have probably seen um, pictures, scrolls or um, sometimes sculptures of these old wise um, men and they'll have eyebrows that literally sort of come down for um, 30-40 30 40 centimeters uh, from the eyebrows so um, to fear for one's eyebrows well it was a way of saying to fear that you might um, teach falsehoods and therefore um, lose your eyebrows because you weren't wise anymore and there's also some connection between this and being punished for teaching false Dharmas that we might get get leprosy and and your eyebrows would would fall out so it's pretty weighty um consequence of teaching the false Dharmas so anyway we will we will stop here and take up the actual body of the uh, text tomorrow the teaching you have received is offered freely if you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre please visit www.aucklandzen.org.nz